Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I think all of us, whether horse owners, active riders, or hoof care providers, all struggle with some aches and pains somewhere that can show up as lower back pain, knee pain, ankle issues, or a thousand other little pain points specific to each one of us in our work and our way of moving. A friend reached out to me about how she has learned from James Shaw from Ride From Within about minute but really significant changes we can make in our movement that can help us to prevent and even rehab injuries to our own bodies that we acquire through our daily work with horses. Although James is considered a riding instructor, his main focus is on the person's body and how we transfer the forces we endure through our body, and that can be riding, trimming, or even doing barn work. I asked him a bit about what he does and how we can apply it to ourselves. Yeah, I guess maybe if you wanted to start with an introduction a little bit about how you came to do what you're doing now. Um, it's a great question. It actually came from, I did a hard style of martial art, a Kung Fu system, traditional Chinese thing. And you basically beat yourself up, you know, you, you, you hit your bones with stuff so they toughen up. And, and long term, if not done precisely right with the precisely, you know, kind of body that you need to do it, you kind of cripple yourself on the way to mastery, you know, it's because you're using force against force, basically. And it, it ended up with my back being trashed, like the kind of traditional, I got a bad back, it goes out, I can't move. I lay in bed for a week or two. Um, when I can get out of bed, I can crawl to the bathroom, but then what? Cause I can't get up off my hands and these, that kind of serious back pain. So I was healed, not like slap on the forehead healed, but through a series of awarenesses and different teachers saying, you know, you have to let go here. You're blocking here. Basically I was using my back and my legs to leverage against everything. Um, so I was getting big and strong. I was in great shape. But the force of gravity or the force I created when I pulled or pushed, right? And I was a union electrician, so I'm not lazy. <laughs> I was working in the construction field and uh, my back would just go out. And it would usually go out when I did something ridiculous like sitting, picking up a coffee cup or turning the wrong way. It wasn't under load. Um, so it led me to realized through some help of these internal arts where you learn to borrow power. And what that really says is you are letting the other person's force or the force of the horse or the force of gravity move through the skeleton in a clear path to earth. And then it doesn't get stuck. And where it gets stuck is where I had my back issues. And Western medicine, like I had, you know, MRIs and x-rays, saw a surgeon and he said you have a herniated and a bulging disc at l4 and 5 4 and 3 and 3 and 2 and we have that's the problem they're pushing on the spine so we have to you know we have to remove them we have to you know brace down there 
I had months of no pain, no restricted movement, nothing. And then it would on again. And uh, so I asked him, I was like, wait a minute. So do the discs go away? Does the bulging disc go back in? What? How can I have that? And the disc be, that'd be the problem. And he couldn't tell me. He said, no, they don't. They, they don't move that much. So I didn't have the surgery and I knew he wasn't. It wasn't the whole story. So I started standing differently, moving differently in my skeleton, not my muscle, my skeleton. And that, that healed me. So I use that knowledge that I've gained from that to help first riders with their, their issues. But that quickly went, oh my God, the rider's issue, they're putting it in the horse, right? This kind of, I just call it two-dimensional movement. That two-dimensional movement ends up in the horse's movement. You know, you look at the skeleton with fresh eyes and you go, whoa, that's so not meant to move two-dimensionally. They're, they're meant to be spirals of force in there that move through the bone, not just linear kind of change in the angle at the joint force moving through. So that's how I kind of got into it. I worked with, you know, uh, riders first and then um, and at all levels, my first introduction to riding and actually my first probably student was a olympic level dressage trainer and rider so and i quickly found out it's a human skeleton and a horse's skeleton and it works at every every level even works in in driving which is mind-blowing you know if you move your seat differently driving a horse you can immediately see the movement in the hind end change so that's kind of how it, you know, in rough, that's how I got introduced to it. Can you describe a little bit about what you see as causing pain and pathology in this kind of like skeletal, you know, origin that you're talking about? Um, and it sounds like it's similar in people and with horses that there's something that can contribute to that, to like a, a chronic injury or pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I'm describing it, I know it's the same, even though it's not that, you know, the muscles are a little different, the angles are different, the use is different, but the physics is that when either gravity or the force created by the horse pushing down into the earth, right? And so gravity in the rider's body, the, the same gravity needs to drop into the horse's body so it can take it to earth in the loading phase. And therefore, the pushing phase can be more effective. It's two-dimensional. The way the force of gravity and the force of the horse, uh, earth resonance force, right, when they push down, the way that travels through the hoof into the skeleton, and that's the earth force coming up through, or the way that the gravity influenced by the rider's body and multiplied by the rider's body travels through the skeleton when it travels two-dimensionally, it gets stuck in joints. And most of those joints, or I'll say area, so we don't have to be as specific, is in the lumbar region of horse and rider. And that can be from the sacrum to the lower thoracic. It gets stuck, and we use that stuck like a fulcrum. We lever against it, right? And that's the definition of the two-dimensional movement. We, we hold and we lever. So two-dimensional movement as far as this movement of force, right? The, and I keep it simple right now. These 
there are just two forces, gravity and earth resonance force, you know, the power of the horse, if you will. When it's two-dimensional, we have to use leverage, right? Because there is no spiral, there's no rotation in this force. We use leverage. And, you know, the traditional leverage means you need a lever and a fulcrum and, and earth, right, to make this work. So usually where that force gets stuck is at the lower back, at the middle of the back, like probably the upper thoracic just around the shoulder blades, you know, in the middle of the shoulder blades, and at the base of the skull because we have to hold our heads still when we're doing this. So those three blocks, which we then, if we don't know any better, we go, no, this is where I leverage from. And most people don't think they leverage, but they're the areas that we have to hold still in traditional riding. You hold your seat still. And, and this is one of the elements of uh, a strength and leverage model is you hold your center still. The other model, which is a receive and redirect model, the center moves more to keep the limbs quiet. In the leverage model, you hold your core, you hold your center more still. And that's what it means to create leverage. Like you hold it still, then you can lean a little bit. Either direction, you move a little bit. And that force is magnified, right, through leverage into the horse and we get movement. So these three areas in the rider, the base of the skull, the middle back, if you will, I call it the back of the heart and the lower back, that holding is mirrored in the horse, exactly, immediately mirrored in the horse. So if you ask people, you know, that work on horses, most horses are held and need attention in their iliosacral lumbar region at the withers, the back of the withers and at the pole. They're all tight there. They all hold there. And we might not think about it that way. We might just go, oh, he just gave me a big release. You know, if you're a body worker on horses, they release there. That release is a symptom or a solution to force not flowing through the skeleton, right? And like for a hoof trimmer, those are the areas that get, I don't want to say abuse because I'm not that dramatic about it, but they're where you leverage from. So trimmers, your lower backs go and your hips go, farriers or hoof trimmers, you pretty much got to get a horse to lift its leg up, right? You got to hold the leg up. If you push with strength, not even that much strength, the horse, it'll shift its weight. But the minute you pick its foot up, it's going to give that weight back to you. If you use this rotation model, it will shift its weight, but it will first shift its balance itself. It will move its bones in such a way that it can stand on three legs and it's gravity, it's the weight. So I interchange weight and gravity because, you know, we wouldn't have these problems if we were training on the moon because of lack of gravity or if we were in water. So when you rotate in your body, and I'll just use that knowing that there's a lot to that. When you rotate in your body, the horse gets to rotate and it shifts its weight in a way that it is balanced. It's not keeping its balance. So this is a big principle that when we're not balanced, we keep our balance.
you have to hold with your muscles to keep yourself balanced. When you are balanced, your bones are balancing you because the force of gravity is flowing through them and not getting stuck anywhere, right? There's a clear path to earth, if you will. And it's the same, but more dramatic when the power of the horse enters the human body. When we receive the power of the horse through our sit bone, if we restrict it, yes, it fills the the pelvis. It may get into the sacrum or not. It may get down the leg or not, but we have to hold tight or we lose our balance. So that's the difference in the saddle. We're keeping our balance in the saddle or we're being balanced. Now, it's much easier to keep your balance because you don't have to have any knowledge to keep your balance. The body will tighten up and hold quite quite freely and it does quite regularly so when we learn these techniques to move more to move the force all of a sudden everything frees up and in this model it's very clear if you ride in a in a certain type of saddle like if we could boil it down even though i know we can't to two saddles english or western in the english saddle your hips and your lower back go Pretty much because how um, it's not the saddle, but it how how that um, those angles affect this strength and leverage model. So in English saddle, pretty much your hips and your lower back are what wear out because where you hold this strength against the power greater than yourself and the horse is definitely the power greater than ourself and gravity long term is a power that greater than yourself. So. English type saddle, hips and back go. Western saddle, back and knees go. And you see it in the way people move. You know, if somebody walks up to you and you can see the moon, you know, a full moon between their knees, probably know they rode Western, you know. And if somebody comes, uh, well, just very stiff and upright, you probably know that they rode in an English saddle. Now, these are stereotypes, but... What I'm saying, this is the, the evidence that presents itself if you know what you're looking at. These blocks against gravity and blocks, today you could call them bracing. It's where we brace, but they're actually solutions. The other model, what healed me, um, totally outside of riding, and what has helped other people is when they start moving their skeleton in a way that biomechanically you you can trace it right down to uh, probably about 10 muscles. When they start putting this third movement, this rotation in their seat, the force flows through there. That's why my back healed without any surgery, without any changes other than the awareness of this blocking of this force, mainly gravity, and the force I created by pushing into the earth. You know, it's on a human skeletal level that we see it, right? It's not discipline or how you're using it. Other than the healing part of that, it creates a tremendous amount of power with rotation as opposed to strength and leverage, which is dependent on, you know, basically the strength in the body. So when you start to rotate, you find there's a tremendous amount of power and horses 
absolutely relate to it completely different. They move completely differently. I remember you mentioning on your website the third movement of the pelvis. So can you kind of break down what that is in itself? Because I know that that seems to be, or it sounds like that seems to be sort of like the... That's the key. key. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the... That's the if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. And it's like everything changes. Um, so the third movement, let me start this way for, for those of, you know, that, that are listening that, you know, understand biomechanics or, or structural mechanics. In the human pelvis and the horse's pelvis, there are three Euclidean planes of force. And basically that means that when force enters the pelvis, it can move three directions at once. And those directions would be like one hip dropping, one side of your hip dropping or your sit bone dropping and the other one lifting. So it's kind of a vertical rise and fall on each side of the pelvis. There is a tilting of the pelvis that happens. Structurally, it happens at the femur joint, you know, the ball and socket of the hip. So you can tilt your pelvis and your socket will rotate slightly on the ball joint without the ball joint moving. So there's a tilting front to back, if you will. There's a rise and fall on each side. And the third movement is a rotation on the vertical axis of the sacrum that allows your pelvis to turn left and right. And this is the the part that's important to me without shifting your weight. So your weight can remain 50-50 in your feet and you can turn your pelvis so your waist turns left and right and your weight doesn't shift. So that third Euclidean plane, if you will, that rotation of the pelvis, and I say the the origin of the rotation is at the sacrum, because when you change the angle of the sacrum, all of a sudden it can rotate, but your weight shifts, and and it's kind of going down the the wrong road. So those three movements are present when we are balanced, not keeping your balance. If there's no rotation in your pelvis, then you're keeping your balance. If there's no rotation, you have to hold tight and you have to lean in your upper body to shift your weight, right? So this all ties into these three movements, tie into how you shift your weight before you move instead of moving and then your weight following. Meaning like you take a balanced step your heel hits first, you lift your back heel, your weight shifts into the ball of the front foot, and then you turn your pelvis and your foot comes down without any weight in it. Then you move your mass or your weight over it. This third movement has to be there for that to happen. So that's the third movement. The third movement is a rotation of the pelvis and the center of that movement is in the sacrum. And so in a nutshell, that's it. There's a rotation in there and it can be very small that most people won't see it. But when you get it, you absolutely know it. Your body knows it at a cellular level. The brain, the brain doesn't always get it. But when you get it, well, it can change everything. For me, it changed everything. I went from this chronic back pain to no back pain because that movement changed the force of gravity through my body. Yeah. And I'm sure that it's, you know, imperative to work with somebody like you who understands what this is and how to kind of address it. But is there anything that maybe, a uh, you know, horse owner, rider, farrier um, could start 
trying themselves, like a first step that you might do with someone when you first meet them? Sure, sure. The the first thing that we that I do that I teach, because we we look at the center. You know, these three movements that I kind of describe are in your center, right? And if you think of them in writing terms, they're your seat. It's the alignment of, let's say, four bone structures, the lumbar, the sacrum, the pelvis, and the femur bone. That in your body is, that's your center. That's where the force gets transferred. So knowing that, the first thing that I ask people to do is become aware of where your weight is in your feet. And most of us, if we stand and and get still, you know, through however you get still, maybe a couple breaths, maybe, but calming the thinking mind, getting into the sensing mind, if you will, more the right brain, most of us find that our weight is in our heels, right? And it's interesting through 25 years of, of clinics, we might not even think our weight's in our heels, but any outside force, your weight goes exactly into your heel immediately, like ounces of force, not pounds. So the first thing I do is ask people to become aware of where their weight is, and they'll usually find it in their heels. So what we do is through the, the center, right, through the pelvis, is the first thing we do is push the, the whole center back a little bit, meaning most of us, most of us bend forward at our hip joint, right? So our hips are forward and our mass is behind us, like our upper body is a little bit behind us. And and that movement creates too much curve, if you will, in the lumbar to keep it simple. So we overarch the lower back. That hips forward also causes the femur head to rotate out slightly. So most people's heels are in, right? Their heels come in when they when they're just standing, if you observe most people, their their toes aren't really out, their heels are in. Could look like the same thing. So I ask them to, as much as they can, move their hips back a little bit. Now this feels like your butt's sticking out. Okay. Because you know, that's a whole different podcast of believing what you feel. Don't believe what you feel because it's not true. So we don't rely on what we feel. We rely on our eyes to look at, oh, my feet are parallel because I've turned my heels out. My hips are back. And the minute the hips come back, the psoas releases, right? You can feel it softens right at the hip joint. And then we bend at the ankle to move the weight out of the heels because when you push your hip back, your weight goes into your heels, right? When you move your center back, the weight goes there. Uh, it's already there. You just feel it more effectively because you've released the lower back where that blocked gravity is. So you've just changed how gravity goes through your lower back and it, you feel it more in your heels. Then we bend forward from the ankle just enough to feel the weight shift from the heel through the arch into the ball. So it's basically three steps. Stand parallel, push your hips back, you know, not lean forward to push your butt back, but move your hips back till you feel your weight in your heels and then bend forward from the ankle till you feel the weight in the ball of the foot. It's dead simple. In the Chinese art, we call it standing meditation or wu ji, and it just means you're balanced 
front, back, sideways, and you're able to have in that position, you can move your pelvis much easier left, right. And and so that's the test. Like my, my work is so based on years of observation for myself, trying to heal myself and seeing other people and almost everybody with a tight back, their heels are in. And, and we just accept that hell it's in medical books that shows the heel in. Right. And that's an option. And I've had people say, well, that's so you can see the bones of the foot. That may be true. But if you watch people in real life, their heels are rotated in. And that comes from the, the femur being rotated out, which comes from holding in the lumbar sacral area, which creates this initial block to gravity. So, yeah, trying to keep your uh, heels out and your weight in the balls of the feet and your center back is the first thing that anybody can do. It's what I, it was the first thing I had to learn to do consciously, consistently. So that force of gravity didn't get stuck in my back. And when it didn't get stuck, I had this freer rotation. Like I could rotate my femur joint inside the socket and not upset my balance. I could turn my pelvis left, right, and not shift my weight. So that, that might be the most basic and then there's, you know, our body for our whole lives, as long as we've been moving upright, it compensates amazingly well for this two-dimensional balance, right? Absolutely amazing compensation without the knowledge that there's another way to move. So what we start to do is look at, you don't have to move like that. In other words, when you have these blocks, it creates symptoms in your movement. Right. And these symptoms at worst, they are transferred. These blocks that you have in your body are transferred into the horse's body. The problem is the feel, our feel is so limited. And because it's so tied into what we believe and therefore what we think, you know, if I believe something, let's just say my ego will prove that true unconsciously or consciously. So most people won't feel like they're very balanced in this position, but then I push down on their shoulders really hard and their body doesn't move at all and they don't use any muscle, all of a sudden they go, whoa, that's weird. Because you would think that it would have a, they'd have to tighten up and brace against it. In the old position, which feels comfortable, I push down a little bit and their hips get pushed forward and they have to hold their breath and they have to tighten. And because we've lost our center, you know, gravity has taken over the center and moved it away that we're, well, it has to move in that position. And so feel the one thing you have to be cautious about, cautionary tale of practicing this at home, is it's not going to feel comfortable. But in that, there are some things that, that get exposed that are, that are priceless. Like if you don't know that you have a tight back, your back will feel tight in this position because it's not holding anymore. Your um, calves will start to ache and your feet will start to ache because they are now bearing the weight of gravity through them. And they're most of the time they're tightening against gravity. So when you align your bones, all of a sudden things start to stretch that you didn't know were tight. So there's a lot in there. And, and hence, that's why it's 
challenging because it challenges us at all these levels, like my beliefs, what I feel, what I think about what I feel, but where it, the reason I'm still doing it, right, after almost 30 years is because it works for people when they can get past that, those initial blocks of, of thinking or in the mind, they get past it and they go, oh, wow, I move better. And if they don't get it immediately, and I've said this my you know entire career, the only reason I get asked back for a second, you know, lesson or clinic or whatever it is, is because the riders felt immediately the change in the horse oh, wow. in, in a positive way. And just like hoof trimming, I just, you know, like I said, I work with hoof trimmers and farriers and for uh, 20 years and in, in depth, you know, one-on-one come with them, watch them trim, adjust their body, mostly adjust their body to round in the lower thoracic spine. So most people don't understand that you can round in the lower thoracic and that takes the curve, some of the curve out of the lower lumbar, which allows the force to get out of the sacrum and the lower back down the femur bones, where then you can rotate them in slightly into your foot, into the ground, and you're then not leveraging off the ground, which, you know, your lever comes from your fulcrum that's your lower back holding tight. So it works across the board. And when we feel better, right, when the horse moves differently, we know it's the truth. Even though I might not explain it the way that most people would think about it or understand it, but when they feel better and they move freer, they're hooked because it's not me selling them something. It's their body telling them this is better for us. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love if, um, you had any like last minute tips. I know that you just talked about trimmers and farriers and how it can affect how we're feeling, you know, what we're feeling in our bodies when we're working. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wondered if you had any last minute tips for something that we can focus on maybe at like the next appointment that we go to. Cause I know that I feel like all day long, I'm just like bending over. And actually for me, where I feel the most pain, like I don't feel pain when I'm bending over and working on horses all day. It's when I go to stand up. <laughs> after. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Because what you do, you put your bones in a position, let's say, not as efficient structurally as it could be. So that inefficient structural alignment, the muscles then unconsciously jump in and hold you. And the muscles hold and they hold and they hold as long as you're doing work. And then they tighten up a little, a little more if it's, you know, if the horse moves. So we tighten up in that position. But then we're not free just to stand up and move because we've been holding our center. So could put it this way, and I, I know that it's maybe oversimplified, but if you can keep your lower back rounded, which means what you're really doing is you're changing the angle of your sacrum at the same time, taking some curve out of the lumbar spine to allow the force of gravity to come through you. Now, remember, if you're holding the foot, it's also the weight of the horse, right? The weight of that holding. And then it's the force of you using a rasp, right? You've got to create and push. So that force all goes, it's like the central hub is your lumbar sacrum. And if it doesn't get through there, it'll get stuck there. 
If it gets stuck there, you have to hold tight and the body will incorporate all the muscles to hold it tight. And like you said, for yourself, I won't feel it till I try to stand up. So if you can try to keep the back, the lower back open, if you will, so you can feel the angle of the sacrum change. And that will affect that little, you'll feel it in the tilt of your pelvis, although it's different than tilting the pelvis, right? It's structurally, it's different. And then try to keep the weight in the balls of your feet, right? Not back in the heels. Just check that the weight's in the balls of your feet, but your kind of your butt is down, right? It feels like your tailbone drops when the angle of the sacrum changes, and that might go a long way. So basically what I'm saying, you know, 99% of the people that I've met and worked with have these symptoms of keeping their balance. So if you just kind of open your mind and go, now, wait a minute, did I get in a hurry? Am I in a hurry? Am I distracted from how I'm moving my body, holding it because of all the reasons we get distracted in our life? But just feel where your weight is. Feel where you're holding, if you will, where you're bracing against the horse. And you can release that. But you have to have that awareness first. Kind of expanded self-awareness is how we start this journey, right? Because I'm always the problem. Therefore, I'm always the solution. It's not the horse. It's not the owner. It's not, you know, certainly those things are true and they happen. But as far as helping myself, I'm the problem, I'm the solution. Like you could go to a body worker or a chiropractor. I went to the chiropractor. Some of my best friends are chiropractors, and I'd see them two, three times a week. And for eight years, I still had back pain. They were helping me, but they couldn't get to the root of the problem because I was the root of the problem, how I use my body, right? So if you can just identify where your weight is, that's one of the, the first steps to that awareness and then anytime anywhere people can call me they can email me calling me is better because you know i don't i don't like being a slave to my email i will freely talk to anybody anytime about this yeah and i think this is super interesting and really helpful like even just in reframing how we're thinking as we're working or riding or standing around. Yes. I think that, you know, obviously we could talk about this forever. Um, so I'm going to mm-hmm. add in, um, like you said, I'll add in your contact information in the the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you awesome. Thank so, you so much. much. This was really interesting. The- Have a great rest of your day. Okay. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.